I mean, everybody loves that. So like every novel is about, yeah, the rural, rural landscapes or yeah, like New York city or something. And like for a while there, that's just like all they are is like regions. And I guess that's back pre-internet before every region became like almost identical to everything else. Like back when, like if you went to Mississippi, like you couldn't understand what anybody was saying because of the accents yeah. and shit. So, I mean, that still ha- that happened to me once in Tennessee. I was like stopping Damn. at a gas station and I was asking for like sixty bucks on this one pump. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah. sixty on this. And then she was like, you saying sixty or sixteen? <laughs> and I'm just like uh, sixty. And she just looked at me like. Mm, and I was like six zero. Like that's how I had to communicate it. Like, because yeah. of my fucking accent. Rip up some Nicorette before it starts. So I don't expect this will be an especially long one. It could be if we go off, but. I mean, how much can we possibly say? Uh, you could say, I could say a lot about this I one. Mean, did you listen to any of her? reading no. or like her audiobook where she just reads it exactly like she sings but she reads it like this in her little whisper voice yeah i think that's um that's the thing is everybody i don't i know i know there's like a fan base that really likes her but uh i've never been a huge fan yeah uh, I know what you mean. I know. I mean, it's going to sound bad me saying this, but I don't mean it in a bad way. Like, it's mostly women and gay men that love Lana Del Rey, right? Like, so it makes sense that I don't. Like, it doesn't really hit me in that sweet spot like it does women and gay men, but. She got me okay, but a lot of it is like, I don't know. I get sick of her style really quickly. That was me because I did listen to that one album and I tried to go back and listen to a few of the albums before we started this just because I'm like, you know, I don't want to write this off and be like mean because clearly there's a huge audience for this, but I can't do it. Yeah. Like the whisper singing, the please daddy, you know, kind of style. I just can't deal with. um, Not not for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of like that old school, like Billie Holiday style ripoff or whatever, you know, like, but like more modern. So, but, and like worse, cause she's just like whispering it and not actually singing like the notes. So romantic. Fuck. I find her to be kind of painfully romantic sometimes. Like sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's just like, all right, too much. Yeah. And we'll get into this and I want to get into the aesthetic and all that too. Like just... I don't, I really had a hard time with this. And like I said, listeners, I'm trying, I I texted Sophie about this and I was like, look, I don't want to just beat this up because it would be so easy to just beat this up as like, look how shitty it is. I would like to try and do that. Although there's going to be a lot of beating up. (laughs) I would like to try and make it a little bit more constructive than just Sophie and I just being like, fuck this. Yeah, I feel kind of bad. She does get beat up a lot, I feel like. She does. She gets attacked online, but that's just because of today's dynamics, dude. Like, if you're a famous person, the internet's going to beat you up, like, no matter what. Like, if you're just a certain level of fame, you're going to get haters all the time. It's just what it is. I know she gets a lot of shit, too. It's a really weird fan base. I don't know. But they're all going to hate us for this, so we're going to get some hate. 
heavy, heavy board. I'm bored. And today we're doing Violet Bent Backwards Over the Grass by Lena Del Rey. Lana Del Rey, Lena, Lana, whatever. Uh, And this one was published by Simon & Schuster. (laughs) Simon & Schuster published this one. And um, I'm trying to get the fucking title page, but I think it was put out in 2020 here. Yeah, it's in the back here. Simon Schuster, they put it out in 2020. Um, I don't know if she composed this over the pandemic or what, but it seems like a dumb little pandemic project. Yeah, oh, I take it back. I'm not bored. I'm just tired. Yeah. Sometimes there's not much difference between the two. (sighs) And uh, so we had the same version of this. I have the hardcover uh, so if you read online version, you said? Yeah, I read the ebook. Um, the hard copy is like $21. Yeah, and I paid that, unfortunately. But I And I looked for it used, and it wasn't dropping enough for me to justify buying it. So I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not spending that on this particular book. Yeah, I dropped the $20, listeners, to buy it, and... Well, keep in mind, also, a lot of the pages are, like, her photography. Yeah, calling it photography is generous, but, yeah, like, it's, like... Yeah, I regret spending the $20. This is one of the few books I probably regret owning. Uh, This and The Trees, The Trees. Although, (laughs) yeah. Well, but I'm now an owner of this, so... I have the copy. We'll link it in the description as always. Ooh, before we get started. Housekeeping before I forget. Uh, we are still looking for workshop horror stories. If you have a workshop horror story you want to share with us, please send that to heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. For those that don't know, we also have a subscription plan. Uh, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash heavyboard to receive full uncensored episodes for subscribers only, bonus content, extras, all that good stuff. Check it out. If you can't afford that, don't want to do that, there are other ways you can support us. You can subscribe share like any of our youtube channels that helps us out you can leave us a five-star review on apple or anywhere else you get your podcast that helps us out it's a free way to support us we appreciate it and of course everything we cover is going to be linked in the description and i think that's it that's it heavy board all right where do you want to start with this Mm. should we just do like a celebrity poetry kind of preamble um, if you want to, I mean, what what other celebrities do we have? I mean, the only one that immediately comes to mind is James Franco. Franco, I actually own his book too. But like, just for listeners that don't know, maybe some of you that listen to this probably do know if you're a book person. Like, 
you know, celebrities, musicians for a while have always been putting out these kind of little like sad collections of mediocre poems or just straight up bad poetry. Jim Morrison might have been the most prominent like in the 60s, right? You know, like his poetry is notoriously very kind of bad and stupid. And, uh, you know, most of that is the case for all these celebrity books but we all know this right so celebrity puts out some poetry they feel like they're in the mood or they feel like all of a sudden that because they're a celebrity they can write poetry uh and this is just the latest example so i guess i mean we could have picked any celebrity poetry book but sophie and i wanted to do this one because it's the most recent kind of big celebrity collection that came out and you know all that kind of thing. But why why do celebrities think they can write poetry? I mean, I think everyone thinks that they could, right? Well, I mean, there are people who think it's like beyond them. But I think, you know, there's something about poetry that can feel like, even if it's not necessarily the most accessible from a reader perspective, it can be accessible for writing. You know, like, I feel like everyone sort of can write shitty poems. Yeah, and I think it has to do with the kind of romantic, like, the romanticizing, particularly in the 20th century here, where we, you know, Sophie and I have railed against this often, where people are saying things like, poetry is a pile of dirt, right? Poetry is like a grain of sand, or like these stupid things that aren't describing anything, and they just kind of put it down to the lowest common denominator, and it's bad, usually. Well, it's also arguably easier a lot uh, like to produce a lot of it takes a lot less time than to produce a lot of nonfiction or produce a lot of fiction or something else. Like you don't have to have a complete story to write a book of poems. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, particularly celebrities or, you know, people that aren't educated in this like like freaks like we are, um, where we've wasted our life studying this uh this art form nobody gives a shit about it's uh i guess there's a freedom to it and there's just kind of this misunderstanding that any collection of pretty words or philosophical phrasings are poetry and yeah there's a lot of that in here yeah and it's all celebrity poetry like that's a lot of celebrity poetry is because they don't quite understand they like it they don't really know why they like it kind of thing I don't know. I don't want to get into like her headspace or anything because that's like, <laughs> that's like, you yeah. know, I don't want to psychoanalyze. I think that's not as helpful as people claim it is. But uh... no, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be a bitch about this. I decided that coming in here, I'm not gonna be a bitch. Well, because if we're a bitch, it would just come off really mean, and we don't. Want or I'm to gonna be... actively try not to be. Yeah, I think we still will. Like, I'll bitch once we start oh, I'll getting into this. Yeah. I definitely still will. I will. I have a few But it's notes. the decision not to be. Yeah, we're consciously trying not to be listeners. So when you hear us slip into it. Uh... I went to a party. <laughs> came in hot. <laughs> made decision, decisions beforehand. Uh, My f- mind made up. Fuck me, daddy. Yeah. Fuck me, daddy, please. Yeah, okay. I'm already getting me with the fuck me daddies. All right. All right, so this is what it is. Listeners know this is celebrity poetry. I think this is going to be a fun time. We're going to have a fun time with this. All right, first things first. Let's d- dedication. 
What do you think? What do we think of this dedication? Um, it loses me at worn, warm hands. <laughs> what? It lost me at worn, warm hands. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicated to whomever's worn, warm afternoon hands. I'm sorry, afternoon hands. Come upon these pages. Wherever you may find them. And that you may remember that the world is conspiring for you and to act in a manner as such. <laughs> so dedicated to everybody. She's an every man's poet. Who knew? Right. Lana Del Rey's lifestyle is just everybody's. Yeah. Dedicated to whomever's worn. <laughs> yeah. What do we think? I don't know. I don't love it. I mean, like, it's nice on some level. Like, I get it, you know? I, I feel like there are a lot of dedications out there like this. But I do wish... Like, I like the second part of it. I like the ending of it. I wish that we came into it a little bit differently. I don't know. I'm being nitpicky. Uh, I think it kind of sums up this entire book is just kind of how bland and I think this is what a lot of people think art is this kind of uh, never ending universal expression or something and for whoever whoever whenever and it's just you know I think that's just a misunderstanding you know it's kind of an elementary understanding of art and particularly this very old art called poetry that but yeah, I think it just kind of sums it up. And for listeners that don't have, I have the hard copy. I don't know if you could tell on yours, so. But it it appears that most of these are pictures or images of typewritten pages, like old school typewriter. Yeah, pages. I mean, I can't really see that, but it does look like um, a typewriter text. Yeah, and I think she specifically said she did this on a typewriter. Again, people for some reason. I know a lot of writers that do this. I'm sure you did too, Soph and MFA and stuff where like they romanticize this dead technology as if it like makes you a better writer or something. Nobody nope, did in your program. Did. Oh no, okay. people did. I did not. Yeah, I was gonna say Never like there were people I knew that like collected these shitty dead technology, like these heavy, shitty old things I mean, they that can don't be work cool. anymore. Like they can be interesting to look at. I'm <clears> sure I can it see would be fun them... to like type on it for a minute. I think I'd probably get sick of it really quickly. Yeah, and you can kind of see that on this, and I don't know if Sophie, you can see that on your version with the digital pages, but you can see how like you can tell that like the lines are crooked on the page because of how you load the paper into an old machine like that that yeah no you can't tell in the digital copy yeah like some of the lines are just not straight across and this is something that you would see in a lot of typewritten pages if you go back and look at old old typewriter uh pages like this but you know it's because there was no auto aligning and things like that so you had to align it yourself and you know it just ended up that way like a little crooked here and there but yeah, and I don't know if that's because of the pages, like how the paper was loaded into the machine or because of how they photocopied these pages to like kind of make it into, you know, a PDF that they could print and bound in a, and bind in a book. But there's that too, listeners. So you get that. And, and I mean, this was, look, I'm going to like when we were in undergrad, this was like a trend, right? Typewriters and people doing typewriter poems. And this is coincides with Instagram poetry. This coincides. I see a lot of this on Instagram. I see right. a lot of it. 
Instagram. And it's this kind of pretend that if you like use these this... little tiny free line typewritten yeah. printed page, uh, yeah. Poems that are just like three lines long. They're not really poems yet. They're just like a single sentence that's saying something that your teenage self thought was like poetic but isn't. Yeah. Uh, and I see a lot. Yeah, and I think teenage is a good description here. It's very juvenile usually. Again, because it's assuming that this dead technology adds anything to your work because it doesn't, right? You might like the aesthetic of it. Like Sophie said, it's cool to look at on somebody's shelf at a house party, cocktail party. I mean, party. I can understand why it can be useful in that it forces you to like go back and start typing it over. Like, you know, you can't just go back and hit delete. Right. So I can see why for drafting, some people might rely on it that way to act as a kind of... I will always do the next draft. But. It's incredible that people romanticize this. Like I know, you know, George R. R. Martin has this dumb thing where he only writes on this like 1990s word processor and you have to like special order shit for it because it's such dead technology. And I'm just like, I get superstitions. I get that. I get rituals. I get that. Like, yeah, I use those things too, but I'm just like, if you're going to insist that this dead technology is adding something to your work, like, you know, you're lying. Like it's fake. It's not real. All right. Like the tool is one thing and I get people don't want to have to learn to use a new tool, but like as if a word processor on a modern computer is so much different than a fucking typewriter, like it's objectively better. Like <laughs> it's objectively better. You can delete, <laughs> you can highlight, you can change. Like it is so much better and faster and less maintenance. And I just don't understand. I mean, why is that? Well, I mean, why do we think that this like these typewriters are romanticized? I have no idea. I could guess. I mean, I think it's they just like some people associate it with some other era of writers where I don't know, maybe they can like think of famous writers and they have like, you know, it just makes me think like um like people who really loved Midnight in Paris. Mhm. You know, I feel like it's those people, like people yeah. who who sort of fantasize about the writing world in that way. Right. Or like, I I should have lived in a different time. I'm I should have lived soul. in a time where it was much harder to type up your manuscript because typewriters are just so romantic. Like, yeah. And I get it. Okay, the clacking, you get to hear the progress, right? You can hear it. You, you, the famous photos of, dude, like every writer hunched over the typewriter and cigarette hanging out of their mouth or whatever, like the kind of famous photos from that part. Yeah, I really think that's all it yeah. is for the most part. And this is a good example. The reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think this is a good example of people like not really understanding what they're doing, but thinking that this aesthetic being just in this kind of ether of an aesthetic makes art. And there is some truth to that, right? Sure. But like, I, I just, this is a good example of this book uses that aesthetic to make its own art and it fails, you know, like it's not doing that. It's relying on this stupid little romanticized notion of typewriters and things like that and coffee stains on manuscripts. There's some of that put into this and it's authentic. Yeah. It's this very performative, I think, uh, performing what a poet should be. And it's, Almost, I mean, really, it's insulting. Like, like I, it's, I was, I texted Sophie about this. I was embarrassed for Lana, like, reading this. Like, I was, oh, you put this out. Like, you thought this was really good. Like, <laughs> dude, you know how many people 
probably love this. I'm sure a lot of people love this, but I I can't. I'm not one of them, and I'm not somebody that could just blow smoke up it or pretend that those people that love this know what they're talking about, you know? Because they don't. They love it because they love her, not because they love the art or the poetry, or even or they what's love, being said. Like the idea of whatever the thing she loves. Like I don't know. I feel like she loves the idea of L.A. and like. I don't know. We'll get into all of that. I don't know enough about her, and I guess fans can correct us and stuff. Uh, but I mean, wasn't she like somebody's daughter, like a famous person's daughter? Isn't that how she got her start? Damn, I don't know. Because it's not like she was like a great singer, and somebody saw her in a club in L.A. was like, "You should record an album." Like, you know, I think it was she was just somebody's like daughter. And I mean, this happens all the time. People get mad at nepotism, but I mean, nepotism's a part of life, okay? You know? And clearly she's doing something right. She sells a lot of albums. People like her oh, stuff. I was so but... into the whole Nepo Babies thing. Oh, the most recent, that, <laughs> that, uh, that, New Yorker, <laughs> that New Yorker piece yeah. or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I didn't even read the piece, but I was just like, yeah, I'll get into this for a minute. I'll look them all up. Uh, you know, we talked about this. I mean, the Nepo, people are mad at nepotism just because they're jealous because they think they deserve it and this person doesn't. And maybe they're right, but, you know, that's just a part of life. So there's always going to be nepotism. There's always going to be Nepo babies uh, being put yeah. in place, places that don't deserve we it. We have yet to determine. What are you looking up? Um... Her father was a copywriter, and her mother was an account executive at Grey Group. Hmm. So I thought wrong then. Yeah, I don't think she actually is. But it's like that very kind of like, <coughs> you know, people that know this already know that, but her music's kind of like that Nora Jones kind of stoner girl music. Like, uh, it's basically what it is. <coughs> Yeah, but it has a very, very specific, I don't know. Yeah, but without singing. Yeah, <laughs> like Nora Jones would actually sing, yeah. It's like Elliot Smith with like his whisper, like his whispering yeah. singing. That's like really intense whispering. It's like, <sighs> like a raspy whisper because you're trying to whisper really loudly, but you can't. Uh, and even, dude, like when I turn to the title page and it says violent bent backwards over the grass with these weird um, capital letters in typewriting print, I was just cringing, dude. I was cringing from page one. I was cringing from the little, like, you know, the dedication. I was cringing from her little blurb here in the in the, in the pocket of the book where she says violent bent backwards over the grass is the title of the poem of the book and the first poem I wrote of many, some of which came to me in their entirety. Hmm, yeah. yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. Which I dictated and then typed out. So she dictated these into like a little, sure, her cell phone, her iPhone, and then typed out on her little typewriter. And some that I worked laboriously picking apart each word to make the perfect poem. They are eclectic and honest and not trying to be anything other than what they are. And for that reason, I'm proud of them, especially because the spirit in which they were written was very authentic. Authentic. I didn't even read that. Authenticity. It's part of the book jacket in mm. mine, so it might not be in the digital version. With these, you know, these dumb kind of 1940s space photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. 
the photos and this is like a picture book look too. at my double oven yeah and this is like a picture book like that's part of the reason i think it's so childish too it's i call it it's a collage this is a collage of aesthetic that she likes and it's not really art it's not really a, if it is art it's not a successful art piece it's just kind of a collage of whatever the fuck she was feeling at the time and like she said like in this blurb like they're honest they're eclectic and they aren't not trying to be anything other than what they are and i'm just like they are though right like they're trying to be profound yeah which is what, what all you poetry... mean her 1950s to 60s americana photographs or are we on to her poems well both all of it i mean yeah i i kind of get the honest thing but at, but that's because at some points i do feel like i'm just kind of reading her journal yeah and you i know? think that's a good description yeah the journal and that can just... happen like mid poem and like there are places where i think um, and I was talking about this earlier where she like hit something that could have been interesting to explore, but was not pursued in a way that interests me. If that makes sense. Yeah. But then there are like just other things that page one, I mean, well, I guess. Do you page have page two. numbers on yours? Yeah. I, I mean, have... it's the, it's the first poem. Yeah, I have no of... page numbers, which I thought was strange. It's just, again, I know that's deliberate. I'm sure that's deliberate. If this was published by Simon and Schuster and they don't include page numbers, it's because she didn't want them or whatever. And it just furthers my thing that this is a hodgepodge kind of collage of, you know, smudged iPhone lens photos from like her phone. And she thought it was really cool and edgy or grungy. This kind of, like you said, 1960s. Uh, kind of hippie where they would take pictures of trash and like the industrial parks and that became part of an artistic aesthetic and I think but like this with is... this sort of fuzzy slightly out of focus right. uh, kind of uh, like sort of dreamy feeling to it um, like everything is like there can be a lot of neutral tones and then like pops of color, but they're all kind of blurry. Yeah. There's a lot of like, just, I mean, these blurry dandelions in this field of grass, for example. Um, yeah. And the images are out of focus, right? So they're out of focus in yours yeah, and the too. Yeah, I mean, that's totally on purpose. It's like... Yeah, uh, this kind of smudged iPhone lens that... But everybody... it's not even that. There's, like, an artist who, like, first did this, who did this by accident because he was, like, you know, sent Polaroid film. Like, I was talking to my friend about this. She was explaining it to me. Um, like, this guy who, like, first sort of came up with this aesthetic, but it was by accident. He was, like, a painter. And he started taking Polaroid photos because they were just like, here, do something with this. Yeah. And so he took them, but there was something wrong with his film because there had been just something wrong with it. And, you know, I guess like in transit from one place to another or something or whatever. Right. And he just loved it. Like, cause it came up with these like out of focus sort of blurry landscapes that just like looked like blotches of color. 
and Lana, like part of her aesthetic, it seems seems to be obsessed with this kind of mid-century, like that one album, Norman fucking Rockwell, right? Like she has the Norman Rockwell paintings kind of references, the kind of Americana, uh, that weird kind of mid-century aesthetic that everybody knows that we've kind of not grown out of. You yeah. Know what I mean? But yeah, <laughs> you want to talk about this first poem, the title poem? I mean, the only thing I was going to say about it was like just to use it as an example of like where she'll use capital I and then just shift to a lowercase <laughs> I. And I'm like, not really sure what this is supposed to be doing here. Yeah. I don't think she knows either, dude. Like they're honest. It's just honest. It's just how I felt. I just, I definitely didn't want to do the work to correct it. I just, it was honest. Yeah. So the first one, and like the so if you said the title poem, this is the one we kind of been teasing the whole time because it's like the one I that's went like to a party. Yeah, <laughs> made decisions beforehand. My mind made up things that would make me happy. To do them or not, each option weighed quietly. A plan for each thought. <laughs> but then I walked through the door past the open concept, and saw Violet. Bent backwards over the grass. Yeah. I mean, do we need more than that? Yeah. Seven years old with dandelions grasped. Tightly in her hands. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We have a little bit of rhyme here. Sorry. I feel like my blah, blah, blah wasn't very nice. Dude, it is sorry, okay. Lana. This is... Uh, sorry, again... Lana. I am, I'm, I'll be a little bit of a Lana Del Rey apologist. It's elementary school metaphors. It's elementary school rhymes. It is not understanding anything about what poetry is beyond this kind of aesthetic. Like I said, this just feels like some type of like aesthetic collage that she wanted to put together. I kept texting Sophie. I was like, this is childish. This is a 35-year-old child that is thinks this is what art is or this is what poetry is. And I couldn't not stop thinking that from this poem on. Like this first poem, I cringed, dude. Like I cringed right away, and I was just like, I texted Sophie, and I was like, Jesus, what did we do to ourselves? There's just something <laughs> like, about this brand do? of like Americana, and like melancholy, yeah. and just romance. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the blend of it that I'm just. There's something about it that I don't like. It's childish. But I mean, um, it's just ridiculous. It's vague. It's ridiculous. It's you know clearly not paid attention to. Well, in I just, any regard. I just hate that story, that like old Hollywood glamour girl, like melancholic glamour, glamorous like lady kind of. <clears throat> like sad. taking amphetamine pills to stay thin or whatever. Yeah, like whatever. Yeah, it just screams. I mean, the whole thing just feels very. 1950s and places. I see a lot of Allen Ginsberg in here. I see a lot of Sylvia Plath in here. It's, I don't know that either is done very well. I mean, it's not done well. Yeah, like it's, uh, dude, it's 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 everybody because those are the two, right? We talked about this on the Ginsberg episode. Listeners can go back and listen Whitman to this. Here. What are the books that people read that don't know anything about poetry but like art? How by Allen Ginsberg. Plath. Those are the two, right? People get into Plath. Yeah. So 
but these... specifically the two big poems, right? Yeah. People like Daddy and people like Lady Lazarus. And those are what you read in, you know, high school. Those are what you read in just a basic kind of American Western English curriculum. And those poems all fuck. They're great. And they are great, yeah. So I, I understand why people are attracted to them. And because of what Plath was doing, because of what Ginsburg was doing, right, they were changing the game a little bit in those in their in their books that they were putting out at that time. And it just, you know, like Sophie said, there, there are direct line references to a lot of this, too, and it's just, you know, a child's understanding of it. It's somebody that read it, thought it was cool, and then thought they could do that, too, is the vibe I get. I, I like. Yeah, I mean, there are also just so many words in here <coughs> that scream, cut me. <coughs> oh, we'll get to her editing that she thought was really good because she wanted to display it in this book for everybody. But also there are moments like even in her first poem that like references Sylvia Plath, which I guess is maybe the second poem. Bare feet on linoleum. Yeah. Yeah. Or path. do you want to say anything about the first poem? So it's violet and backwards over the grass, which uh, we know wasn't that taken from Ginsburg. Did we, I don't know. I feel like I looked this up, but I think it was like a line taken from somewhere. Probably because it's one of the better kind of, and it's one of the uh, like you know um, alliter alliterative lines, one of the more sound conscious lines. So it would make sense if she took it from somebody and it wasn't original, because it's actually one of the more like, you know, pays attention to the alliteration, pays attention to the sound and the rhythm of everything in the words and how it's formed. Bare feet on linoleum with her oven. I believe these are, I don't know the brand of this oven, dude this fucking blurry iPhone photo. Um, but I'm pretty sure this type of oven is like a $15,000 oven. The book landed at number four on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, well, <laughs> as, just, as everybody saying. knows, the New York Times bestseller list, or if you don't know it, is bullshit. Um, which is a shame because it never used to be, but it's a pay-to-play thing. And if you get into any of these things, if you you pay, you pay the New York Times to put to put your book on that list, or your publisher does because it helps sell books. So some of these books that get on the New York Times bestseller list have literally sold less than a thousand copies, but the publisher paid for it to be on the list, so it's on the list. So is it really a bestseller? No, it's basically just kind of like you know the stamp of approval from the the consensus tastemakers. And of course, because she's famous. So that's why I kept asking myself, like, you know, why did Simon and Schuster put this out? Because she's famous enough. Like, yeah, because she's famous enough that it would sell copies, and that's really all they care about. Um, there isn't some like group that cares about poetry. There's a few foundations like Poetry Foundation, and like even they don't even really give a shit about poetry anymore. So <clears throat> there's that. Did you want to talk about this bare feet on linoleum or? Oh uh, yeah. But hang on. Yeah, go for it because i was interested in that emoji one the next poem <laughs> with a fucking emoji oh, in we'll it. talk about that dude yeah. i think i just highlighted that and said no yeah. there were a lot of moments where i just said no or yes in my notes so i kept it pretty brief um yeah i don't see any i feel like i fucking know like i looked this up a long time ago Someone fucking look this up and find it for me, please. I know we have like, you know, what, like four listeners. So that's great. Awesome. Do a little audience participation. Do a little work. Yeah. Audience participation. 
help me figure out where this came from. If it came from somewhere, if uh, Violet bent backwards over the grass came from either Ginsburg or Whitman somewhere, I feel like maybe it did, but maybe I made that up. Um, entirely possible. Anyway, don't want to be too distracted by that. Sorry, it was pulling me out a little bit. Pull Skype back up. Yeah, so hang on, I'm back to the first poem. This is the one. Okay, this isn't the one where she ends with. The ending of this poem. She's waiting for fireworks to begin. Or no, she's watching this little girl waiting for fireworks to begin. Or so we assume from the imagery, right? Um, bare feet? No, I mean in the first one. Oh, the first Just poem? To... Um, and that one ends, and in that moment, I decided to do nothing about everything forever. I feel like there are a lot of moments like this, and I would say this is something that everyone did when they started writing poems for the first time, is that you maybe had a lot more single word stanzas or <laughs> lines than were needed or uh, th there can be something kind of cringy about it. I think, you know, having that big space between the end of that stanza to do nothing about everything, I think would have been a stronger ending in and of itself, but then to have forever, Way its at the own stanza. Of the page. I like it. We think that I think often we have this sense that it adds this power, and it does. It draws your eye to it. Like there's a reason why you you know, right. um, if you put a, a line on its own or a single word on its own in a poem, you know, it's going to draw your eye to it. You're going to assume that it's important for some reason or there's some emphasis there. This is like the last word of this poem. So this is just like an example of what I would say is like, yeah, it's definitely what I would say is like honest. I think there is something that's kind of like unpretentious about her writing, which I will praise. Um, it's what the kind of an like a, a person that doesn't like poetry or understand poetry could be drawn to. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying with that. Yeah, you, and, you can pick but up on it, it also yeah. isn't like trying too hard. Like that was one thing. I know that we talked about this a little bit, but like reading James Franco, there was something there that felt more pretentious to me. Well, because he went through an MFA, he went through, um, you know, he became close with Frank Bedart. Frank Bedart, the reason he got and published And still with, is not really a writer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? And, I mean, as far as we know, like, you know, maybe he writes screenplays, et cetera, but... Honestly, I don't think Franco is a bad director. Like, I don't maybe, think he's a bad director. I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he needs to be in the right role. He's not like a very versatile or like great actor. But These are all he's... talented people we're talking about right. today. Uh, just for the, so poetry, we're all here. But I think you're making a good point is because like the, the unpretentiousness is what, what the kind of people that don't understand poetry can glom off of because they get turned off by more pretentious work. Yeah. But like it's this idea that like poetry is considered this that it could be anything, that it could be a pile of dirt, that it could be a stone in a pond or whatever. This idea that it's been romanticized to oblivion. And this is what I always rail against on this podcast. And the reason I say we need to take it more seriously, because it lets people that are maybe very good at one thing 
think that they can also do this thing, right? And I know we live in a world where everybody believes that they're a political expert. They believe that they're a fucking foreign relations expert every time some of something trends online. But, you know, it just really gets under my skin when people think they can do this and then we praise it as if it's like breakthrough or genius and well that's the thing though that i mean there are so many things that like there are so many shapes that it can take right like you don't have to be a master of form you know like received forms is not something that you have to master before being a published poet sure you do not have to have read all the you know hottest contemporary poets nor do you have to have read like all of the sort of foundational poets whatever that means to you you don't have to have really read poetry to write a poem you know i and that i'm sure we could argue about and blah 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 but like you could sort of explain you know like i mean i think even i I anybody could yeah yeah, you could have some sense of like what rhyming is, you know, for example, like I'm right. sure we all did that in kindergarten at some point, whether or not you remember. It's like why, you know, we tell nursery rhymes to children. Yes, there's more like formal qualities there. Um, well, but I, think, I do think yeah. that in that way, while poetry as a, um, a form of literature might be viewed as one of the least accessible forms of literature, like one of the least accessible genres of literature very often, not always. Um, I think it's also the most accessible from a writing perspective. Well, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like we've talked about this on a couple of the craft episodes we've done. Listeners can go back and look at those, you know, or bloom. I mean, I, I think I was like interested in writing poetry before I became interested in reading poetry. Like every other asshole, not every other asshole. There were all the people that came before us that were like great. And, you know, like, I mean, I, I also like hear about people that really did have, um, childhoods that were filled with poetry because their parents were poetry readers or, Yeah, and we've said this before, like, yeah, almost anybody can write something that we call a poem or resemble a poem, but, you know, it doesn't make it good. Like, that's the difference. And I think with something like a story, when you, like, you know, have to fill the page from, you know, the West Coast to the East Coast, it's, like, not... It's easier to tell when it's bad. There is so much you can be missing from a short story that is so easy to pick up on. There is so much more you can, you have to, you know, be aware of when you're writing a novel. There are so many more things that your readers are going to be like, what the fuck if you didn't include something or if it doesn't go anywhere. Right. So I think from a writing perspective, poetry offers in some way, the least pressure to make something that feels I don't want to say like the least pressure to make something that feels complete or like finalized, but it kind of does. Right. Because also even like authors will publish books of poems and continue to work on them later. Yeah. But I just mean in in terms of, yeah, you know, she doesn't understand that clearly. I think, I think this is clearly just the base level. And And there is also a history of like songwriters who also write poetry. And often we kind of look at them and go, you know, like, Yeah. yeah. And That's there. There's there's a line here too because we've we haven't really talked about this much on this podcast, but you know the kind of line between song lyrics and poetry, there is a line that divides the two. They're not the same thing, although there is relation. There's, Have we talked about this? Yeah. With, haven't we talked about this with like spoken word yeah, versus of course like 
you know, the written yeah. page, like there is a certain formula to spoken word. It's meant to be accessible as a performance. It is not necessarily as entertaining on the page, like in the absence of that performance right. in you know, written poetry that's intended to be read, right. Intended to be heard. We would say to some, you know, yeah. Sounded. However you fucking want to say it. I don't care. Um, God, there was something that Jonathan color kept saying that I want to some fucking word that I kept getting really annoyed at. <laughs> Enunciative apparatus. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Enunciative apparatus. apparatus. Um, yeah, however you want to use your apparatus to enunciate. Yeah, stick your apparatus somewhere. Yeah. And uh... I mean, I guess it's not your enunciative <laughs> apparatus. It's the enunciative apparatus of the poem. Yeah. Um, but there is this line between songwriting and... There is. Yeah. And I think it's very similar to that of anything that is like performance versus something that's intended to um, be read. And I've heard right? a lot of is my... That it, like there's an expectation of performance. It is intended to go with these other elements to create a whole thing, right? It and also I... doesn't have to be... I think there's something in lyrics that can allow it can allow for more cheesiness, right? Because yeah. you also have these other things you have. Uh, you forgive the cheesiness because of the lyrics are one aspect of a song. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe, you know, just, it sounds great. Yeah. Or <laughs> and it that's really okay. works. The with sound like, does yeah. come first. It tends to come first in right. music in a way that while poetry really emphasizes sound, it can't be entirely and exclusively reliant on it. And, you know, and I like good lyricists, you know, Sophie and I've talked about this, you know, I'm not a big Dylan fan, but a lot of people like Dylan's lyrics. And I think Dylan writes good lyrics. He has good lyrics in a lot of his songs. I'm not a huge fan of his stuff, but like, you know, Dylan is another one. They gave him a fucking prize for poetry, dude. Like they said that Dylan writing lyrics was the same as writing poems. And that still gets under my skin. Listeners have heard yeah, me I mean, rant I think, about it. Didn't it like famously get under his too? Like, I, I, didn't he I, continuously say that he was not a poet? Yeah. But he was very strange, and I think he gets a lot of credit for being that kind of strange. Like, people give pretend that, like, being strange or being, like, an asshole is also artistic. And sometimes it is, but, like, you know, for him, I think when he won that prize, too, he was just kind of like, what? Like, and I know I've seen interviews with him during that kind of Dylan revival, and they made that movie and stuff, and, like... You know, he always famously said he hated the word poet, like, kind of thing. I'm not... I don't like the word poet, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he just fucked with people, basically. It's yeah. The reason that Dylan always pissed me off in interviews is because in the 60s, there was this aesthetic that, like, fuck everything kind of aesthetic and, like, everything's a joke. And that just, you know, that's just not my personality. I can't stand that. I don't think everything's a joke. I think things are very... I take things that I like very seriously, <laughs> like, kind of, you know. But, yeah, we're way off topic not even, we're not way off topic. We're right on topic with the book like this. But do you want to hit bare feet on a linoleum or do you want to keep going? I meant to. It's like, it is the first plath mentioned. So did you want to talk about that? I mean, yeah. Well, I'd be curious to know what you thought, first of all. I mean, I thought everything in this was pretty awful. But yeah, stay on your path, Sylvia Plath. Don't fall away like all the others. Don't take all your secrets alone to your watery grave about lovers and mother watery yeah. grave um yeah okay so you hit it on the head yeah <laughs> watery grave was what i really really it was the thing that instantly screamed me out like no i was like hold up 
did she drown? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, not that that like matters that much. It's just like, why say watery grave here? So like, oh, she was sad, so it's watery. She was crying. Yeah, and I think uh, that's again, it's it's an example of not understanding what imagery is. But then you do have the picture of the oven. And I get she's trying to make the connection of okay, how did Plath kill herself? Well, she put her head in a gas oven, right? Yeah, but. I don't think it was a watery one. No, so. it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I think that has a specific context. Yeah. Not that, like, it, you know, she does talk about, like, being on a boat at some point. And there is this thing about, like, the glamour of some of these poems. Like, I'm on a boat to Catalina for no reason. I'm like, shut right. up. Right, because she's a millionaire songwriter. So Don't like, show she's... me this picture of your double fucking oven. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you know six burner uh you're like twenty thousand dollar french oven uh yeah like with a shitty like paper flower on top of it yeah it's interesting and i think that's what she's going for she's going for that the mid-century aesthetic where we put something very expensive and beautiful with something ugly like trash or fake flowers or cigarette butts or something that was a very 19 kind of 50s 60s mid-century yeah. modern type thing and I think she's trying to tap into that, but I think she's just so bad at it that it comes off as cheesy. Like I said, I was embarrassed for her reading this. Like I was, well, like there's I know something she's that comes probably off not as embarrassed. A cheesy. There's something yeah. that comes off as like slightly out of touch, but also I don't think in touch is like what we're going for here. If you're really in that like LA Hollywood, right. like fame melancholia kind of yeah space. Yeah, and it works. I understand because it works with her overall brand kind of thing, although I know she wouldn't call it that. But, you know, it is kind of like a brand, right? And like I said, I have friends that I know would get pissed off at me for saying this because they love Lana. They love her shit. But, uh, but like, you can love her know. music and think that her poems kind of suck. Yeah. You know? Just like most celebrities. Like, I like The Doors, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you Jim Morrison's poetry books are good, you know? I think Lana um, has good music, but, like... Again, See, I, I don't just, even like the music, but I, I don't think love I'm, her music. I'm you just know? not like, the I audience. Don't, yeah, I'm not the audience for it. Cause... I just don't think she quite uses it. Like, I I want more range. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that sounds like shitty. She's obviously very talented and very beautiful. Like, great voice. It's just like, yeah, it's not. It's just the all quiet all the time. You know, it's like cold play, <clears throat> but for a different kind of girl. Yeah. But anyway, I've moved on now. Uh, yeah, there were just a lot of places where even like uh, the rhyme was like a little too loud and then sort of falls away or where the rhyme is just a little too loud all the way through the poem where it's not even like so incredibly egregious. It's just like, oh, you know, you could have really fine tuned this and like you could have eliminated this one instance of this rhyme and it would have kept the rhythm. I have an example of this somewhere where I just like took exchanged a word and I was like, yeah, this still, you know, it, like it, when you have too heavy of a rhyme, sometimes it feels like it's hitting you over the head with it. But the thing you know, is, like our, is like I don't gets... think she understands it. Like, I don't think she understands rhyme. Like, I don't, well, think... I think what happens is like, you know, you read someone like Sylvia Plath and you, you are also like, you know, understandably a songwriter, right? There is a lot of need for rhyme in songs. Um, and if not rhyme, then rhythm. Yeah. So like she has some understanding of those things. And also like if you, you know, right. read Ariel by Sylvia Plath, you're going to, you know, 
be hit with the heavy, um, you know, internal rhymes and the rhythm of something like daddy. Um, but it's just more masterfully done by Plath. <clears throat> yeah. Because... And here it feels like it's just not quite refined. Again, I, I think the content is like unpretentious and that is, I'm not like trying to use that as a stand in word for like dumb, you know, <laughs> like, when I say unpretentious, Juvenile. I just mean it doesn't like, you know, the, it just, it doesn't feel like it's trying really hard to be a certain kind of, you know, poetry, right? You can, you can like sort of tell her obvious influences like, yes, Ginsburg, yes, Sylvia Plath, yes, Walt Whitman. Those are all really obvious. And if you're an, uh, an American writer, you are probably in some way, whether you know it or not, influenced by those things. Yeah. Partic I mean, I guess if you're a poet. Well, the thing is, is that like, I, I don't think this was done with like a lot of sweat and tears and blood. I think this was done as like a hodgepodge. Oh, I'm bored. Kind of like collage of bullshit with these kind of vague yeah. connections. And um, that's really why. I, so like the read the rhyme being inconsistent, like I didn't expect it to be consistent, dude, but like, no, neither do I. And it doesn't it's... have to be necessarily, but when <clears throat> in the same poem, sometimes it's like, Whoa, that's a really heavy rhyme to shift out of it for the entire rest right. of this, like, yeah. you know, several page long poem. And she doesn't understand that aspect of it. And like I said, look, I like songwriters. I like good lyricists, you know, listeners. I don't think I've ever gone into it. I love Modest Mouse, one of my favorite bands. And part of why I like them is because Isaac Brock, I think, is a great lyricist. But he doesn't try to put out books of poetry, really. <laughs> he understands he's writing song lyrics and he's very well read. And even the name Modest Mouse is from a Virginia Woolf book. He likes to read and all that clearly even though he's a high school dropout and i'm a big modest mouse fan so i know all this shit but you know he's not trying to put out a book of poetry and claiming that it's up there with ginsburg and plath and all these other things and not that she's claiming that but like you know when you're using that as like i can participate in this just like they did and sure you can but you know most of the time a book like this would not get published unless you were lana del rey like it would not get published because it's garbage but all right, let's move on to the emoji because we've talked enough about. Yeah, I just see also references to daddy all throughout this poem. What's her whole aesthetic, right? Like I said, like the whisper, fuck me, daddy kind of. There's also like the, I mean, but just like we're not even quite like that. Just like because she told the townspeople I was crazy and the lies, they started to believe them, you know, um, that just, you know, the villain. Um, there's a stake in your fat black heart and the villagers never liked you. They're dancing and stamping on you. Um, so even just small things like that. Then, of course, after Sylvia Plath's poem, we get the of an image again. <laughs> Wait, did we get that again or was that? No, just it's just it's just sentence? next to it. God, it's so, that's the is, tough thing, yeah. dude. That's the fucking tough thing about having uh, a, an ebook version. Right. Going back and forth. But then, oh, there's also just that we keep getting this rhyme throughout this book that, ooh, 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 ooh. And half of those rhymes are the word you. Yeah, or the letter you, like she's texting. Letter you interchangeably. Yeah. Or maybe that's just this poem and I've read it too many times. No, it's all of them, dude. It's all over okay. this book. Yeah. 
It's like she starts off writing out. I only read a couple poems twice here. Starts off using the word you and then just starts switching over to the letter you like she's texting on her phone. And of course, yeah. My life is sweet like lemonade. Because she's not a writer. so Now there's no bitter fruit. Emoji, watermelon emoji, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, no thought of you. (sighs) Yeah, we have you, room, choose, noon, you, you, Bellevue. (laughs) <laughs> Xanadu through Malibu do choose yeah and those are all very inconsistent like Sophie read off the end rhymes but these are like some of these are single sentence stanzas some of these are it's like that doesn't particularly bother me. like the the overall structure itself doesn't bother me I think the end rhymes are like whatever you stuck to one single it's like uncomplicated. You want with the ooh sound. It's very much like, especially right after a poem that references Sylvia Plath and has some seemingly reference to daddy to me. In my, I mean, I would guess right. or she maybe had it in mind. Um, well, again, this idea of the, the emoji, though, this fruit emoji is what really glares at me from the it page. It stands here. out. Well, it's right in the middle of the first page of the poem, right? And, it's called What Happened When I Left You. And it's like... I've seen people try to use emojis in writing and my thing with using emojis is okay, you know, because they do represent things. I'm not a fan of them. I don't want to use them in writing, but I don't even use them in texting. Sophie can tell people like, I don't use emojis. Like I fucking hate them. And like this though is like, if you're going to put an emoji in a poem, I want it to be doing something. And this one is just like, Oh, I'm sending a text message. Here's a little fruit after the word fruit. And it's just like, yeah. it's not adding anything to the poem. And this is just one example of almost Well, every... so it's like, how do you read it? If I'm reading this poem aloud, I mean, and like, maybe we don't, I mean, you don't always have, like think about this, right? Because you're probably reading poems and maybe you're reading them out loud to yourself, but like, you're not standing in front of a class reading them like we were, you know, back in the day in like a workshop class or even just like a poetry class. You get to this line. You say now there's no bitter fruit watermelon emoji. Right. You say watermelon. Do you skip over it entirely? I'm not sure. Which <laughs> you is know? again. And it's these... just like a minor, like, it's something that you just have to think about, I think. Uh, but maybe is also one of those things that we really heavily emphasize in the workshop, but only actually matters if you're routinely giving readings. Well, I just the fact that it's not doing anything there besides for clearly personal aesthetic choice, which is just a text. Or just be message. like, oh, it's a fruit. Yeah, it's a text. I message. said fruit, and I'm including yeah. fruit here. So you now, know, so now everybody that texts can be a poet. Like that's literally the problem with the romanization that I'm always railing against. Is oh, if you send text messages, you can write poems. It's like, well, sure, you can write poems, but they're going to be bad, right? Like even if we agree with that, like it's like, well, they're going to be bad, and this is just another example not just structurally but just like of aesthetic overall else and i understand that i like aesthetic i think aesthetic's important i just think this is a very half-baked aesthetic this is a very she's not even aware of what she's doing it's a collage it's a hodgepodge it's a little like art project like while she was stuck at home during the pandemic or something i don't know like but yeah do you want to hit the LA one, which is the most Ginsburg ripoff one, or? Yeah, I fucking really did not like this. Yeah, 
and it's very really long. this is the one that i really extra other than the haikus which are extra not good <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was like this one i mean it just kept going and it wasn't like <clears throat> it's a copy of america and like a combination of how both yeah. Ginsburg poems and and that happens again elsewhere in this collection where she writes another poem that feels very much like America and we talked uh, about this on our Ginsburg episode just because of how influential Ginsburg is so it's one of the first books that a lot of people read if they're interested in poetry and stuff like well, that. And there are a select few poems from that book too yeah and it's just you want to copy it because it is like we talked about this on our Ginsburg episode. When you read through that book, it is so energetic and like full of life that you feel inspired after reading it. Like your adrenaline spikes. And I just think that's what she's trying to copy here, but she doesn't actually understand how Ginsburg achieves that in this. Like, so she just overwrites it and keeps, and I mean, they submit, she's not a poet, right? I'm not going to be like, oh, she should know better. Like I said, she can do whatever she wants. I'm just embarrassed for her that she thinks this is serious art and people that think it's serious art. I'm, it makes me sad. It makes me kind of like, yeah, poetry really is dead, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah. I just uh, felt like the title was kind of blah, which like, you know, no big deal, whatever. There are lines that I like, but not as part of this poem as it stands yeah. like i think i'm from nowhere who am i to dream is like could be a line it's okay it's not the best but in a poem that wants to use these like long listy lines like that and to have like kind of a short assertion like that or a short question right like that without that punctuation too yeah. which we haven't really mentioned there but is no punctuation. The punctuation is so sparse. There is some, yeah, it's yeah. very sparse. And then she throws it's in these. present when she wants to use an explanation or uh, um, an exclamation point, or if she, uh, like, there are the occasional periods after a long, like the first stanza is punctuated, just once at the very end. Second stanza, not at all. Third stanza. Yeah, at least two. Again, two more evidence that this is just yeah, like an amateur kind of high school art project, con con including the photos and stuff. I mean, did you want to say anything specific about this one? Because, like I said, I was really no. There's just a lot of this like private jet for one, like sad rich girl aesthetic that yeah. I don't. You know, and then I never had a mother. Will you let me make the sun my own now and the ocean my son? And this on the one section where it's L.A., but she's extended it out to be like, L.A. It's just <laughs> the way it's written is la. Like, yeah, that's the way I it's know. written. La. I am who I need to. I am. Who am I to need you when I've needed so much, asked for so much? What I've been given, I'm not yet sure. I may never know what either. I may never know that either until I'm dead. And there's even mm -hmm. little edits on this one, too. There's like a yeah. little whiteout section again because she's using a typewriter for aesthetic reasons and no other reason. And then there's a little bit of like a pen gone in to cross out of like one typo. Um, and again, I wanna, maybe this is a good time if we don't want to talk about this poem to move on to the uh 
the edits that she put in here, the two versions of, of a couple poems side by side. Which again, I thought was an error. I thought it was like an ebook error. <laughs> and so I just like skipped right over it. I was like, yeah. oh, well, they uh, fucked this up. You might as well skip over it because. Well, I did. Yeah. And we get like these images. Tell me what I missed, Andy. These images, like as, as we move through after the LA poem here, where it's just a ripoff of America and how smashed together. Um, and again, a really elementary understanding of that. It, they have these blurry photos of the Paramount Water Tower in LA, like kind of LA landmarks and like a shitty kind of row of houses with the big, um, you know, radio tower, electrical towers in the middle of the neighborhoods yeah. and stuff like that. Like kind of like, you know, lower class uh, areas, poorer areas in LA. And uh, that other one, that's just uh, an intersection, like a sparse, very ugly intersection. Um, Do you also have text that appears in like blue and stuff? Yes. <clears throat> but in my version, it's it's copies. Like it's literally like a handwritten colored pencil is what it looks like. Oh, it's not in mine. So that one that says, I measure time by the days I've spent away from you that thought occurred to me as I watched the sky go dark from blue and blue is written in blue ink. Yeah. Blue is typed in blue ink here. It's just in a slightly different, um, font. Yeah. Because it was handwritten. And I think for the digital version, they'd probably doctored it a little bit, but there are handwritten images written in and like cross outs. Right. There's some of that. And I wanted to get to, okay. Fuck the land of a thousand fires. Yeah. More shitty imagery, more shitty imagery, more shitty imagery. And let's get to, yeah, Never Land- to Heaven. Yeah, I hated Land of a Thousand Fires. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I hated this book. I mean, quite frankly. Although I want to put, I, I know I already said this to you, I want to throw out there that like listening to it as an audio book, because I read it, right? At some point I was like, I need to put this down, but I need to keep reading. So I found um, a copy of the audio book. It was a lot easier to tolerate. Like, I hated it a lot less. But it's because I think it works better as a piece of performance. Again, like, maybe not for me, but I can see this having been for me when I was, like, 18. Yeah, that's the thing. I can see a young person who, again, is almost entirely ignorant of poetry enjoying this and getting better something out as a of it. performance when you have her voice reading it when you're not just like looking at every change between you y-o-u and you just <laughs> like you know small things like that when you're not seeing like looking at the cross outs or looking at the handwritten notes and i get some of that right like we do see some of that stuff in poetry, we've seen that kind of thing from Ann Carson, except that was like a huge project and part of the aesthetic for an entire book that was not just a book of poems, but also kind of an art book. And it's like kind of hot shit. Like it's right. kind of. Um, and this is like, I assume she took this, like, I didn't know this going into it, but then I later found out. But when I was reading it, I assumed that she took all these photos herself just because of how shitty they were. And like how non-artistic they were, like that's what I just was assuming too. Yeah. But I know that there is something in the back that credits uh, someone for they, some amount of art because it's mixed in with her her smudged iPhone lens ones, like, and then it's mixed in with like archive photos from the fifties. 
60s. Yeah, and well, we see a lot of that. I knew that they weren't. Once we got to just images of people reading that are in right. black and white, I kind of yeah. knew that we weren't just looking at her pictures. Yeah, and they're like 50s, like garb and dress. Just like and, people reading. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. People, I read. I read. Look Pretty at my poetry. people read. Yeah, okay. And Never to Heaven. So the way it's set up in this book in the printed version here, listeners, is we have the original version with some edits handwritten in, and then we have the retyped version with those handwritten edits put into the poem. And I'm just going to say that there are two instances where there are added lines, and that's pretty much it. That's the extent of her working very hard on this to make them as good as they can be. And they're sent, they're set off side by side here again because I think this is a look at me. Oh kind fuck! Of... This is the one I just kept scrolling and I didn't realize. I made notes like, why is this the same? Did she use this line twice? And then I realized I was reading the same poem twice. And I think, <laughs> like, uh, my question is, why do you think this is here? Why do you think she showed us a like an like the original version and then an edited version of the same poem? You know, you know, be generous. We don't have to be mean about it. But yeah, I'm thinking if I'm being as generous as possible, why would you put this here? Um, to show my thought process. Right. One. I mean, but like, I'm yeah. going to like, because, you know, I'm famous and people want to know what I think. Right. Exactly. People want to know how my mind works. And just or like, look at how much if work I'm a I writer, I'm hanging on to two copies of the same poem because I think they're equally. There's something I'm hanging on to. Yeah. in each of those even I, though like, it's the same thing yeah. but this one i would say like yeah there's just not what has really changed right we have not much an addition a two minor addition two minor additions yeah and one small cut yeah that's it it's the magic of the nowness which is the solution to most questions the magic of the nowness <clears throat> And that's why I just think I, think I was next, like, I think in that one I just wrote nowness. Hate this. <laughs> I think I think this one, these this these two these and there's a couple poems where she has this where she has like an uh, an original draft and then a, like a very slightly barely edited draft that she thinks is a lot better. I think this sums up the book for me where it's like this is the best she can do right like this is clearly the best she can do and she thinks it's really good. And that's why she wanted to have these in here to show us how much work she put in with this, that she took it seriously. And again, I think it's elementary. I think it is childlike. I think, like I said, I just couldn't help but be embarrassed for her as I was reading this. And I'm sure she's not embarrassed by it. I'm sure she's proud of this, but it's just, you know, it's not there. It's laughable. Um, and like me personally, I would not put this out under my brand. But like Sophie said, you know, she's famous and the book would sell even if it sucked. Which but she has faith does, in so. man in times like these. <laughs> yeah. Just, like that's what I mean. Like there's something very accessible about that, right? Like yeah. there's nothing really dissenting or not that you have to be, right? Like not that you have to be against like the status quo, like as because you're a writer or some shit. Right, I think this is it's just like a, it's this is somebody's idea of what a writer would do, because if you look at archive stuff, we've talked about this. Somebody like Elizabeth Bishop, who did serious editing, there's a lot of archive drafts for her, so you can see these poems being crafted throughout the years, and I think this is her way of trying to participate in that. But it's just so bad and elementary that it's like a child trying to impress their parents. You know what I mean? 
and it's kind of like a pat on the head kind of. I mean, of. is there something unimpressive to us about it because there's just this like it's a melancholy that's like <laughs> it's like a famous melancholy. It's like I'm famous. I have all of the things, but I'm sad. It's not so much the content that I'm I'm although the content is pretty vapid, I would say. I mean, the I'm content not... really kind of turns me off <laughs> but yeah. it's like it's not I don't know I think there are moments where maybe I'm being unnecessarily bitchy because I'm just like oh you're like talking about being sad on a boat to Catalina <laughs> not that she has to actually be on a boat to Catalina you know I bet she brought her typewriter to type it out. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's just all thing. this like skylines. Like there's something about just this like love, like just so much Americana, so much like American city skyline, so much neon lights, like just so much and I think identity that's a... is wrapped up in this like Hollywood idealism. And I think that's a Ginsburg kind of nod where I think that's, a, or at least an influence where that's something Ginsburg was very good at the Americana level in the fifties, sixties of exploiting the Americana skyline and thing to his own metaphor, putting something but interesting. But this isn't the fifties or sixties. And this isn't Ginsburg. Like <laughs> this is not as good. Like this is just kind of a bland redo copy. And that's why I just got, and I mean, really, I just think that like these celebrity poetry books are part of the larger example as to why poetry is so dead and unimportant and nobody cares about it. Even the presses that supposedly claim they do. But yeah, this is the first of many examples of that. And yeah, it's it's not good. My problem with it is just that it shows how little thought was put into it, even though they think it was, or she thinks it was a lot of thought, I'm sure, you know? Mm, yeah, I mean, just these images that are like, look at this van and this palm tree and this sunset all in one image. Yeah. It's just so painfully California, you know? Yeah, and not in a good way. California. The California. And since I live, like, kind of, like, I live close to L.A., like, I'm, like, three three hours from L.A., basically, uh, Vegas tries to copy a lot of the L.A. aesthetic because we get a lot of L.A. tourists who come here all the time, like, for a weekend trip and stuff. And, like, so the palm trees next to industrial parks and stuff, like, I get that. Like, that's a very southwest kind of west coast look with the palm trees next to, like, an industrial park or, like, this crane or the shitty work van and, you know, whatever. But, uh, so I get what she's trying to go for. Like, that's a real aesthetic and vibe. Like Sophie said, it's, like, kind of that California vibe. But, uh, yeah. Like I said, I was just mostly embarrassed for her and you know there there are moments of what i would say like uh you know illusion sophie said to certain things there's the uh, one to robert frost in that past the bushes cypress thriving which i would say is her best title yeah and that just says farther down the also road. maybe one of her best lines yeah in that. farther down the road less traveled is uh, yeah which i don't i don't know why why like why is that I don't, un I'm not sure I understand that there. My guess is because, again, she doesn't know what she's doing and 
The Road Less Traveled is a very famous poem you read in high school, middle school. And she thinks that just putting this line in there gives it credibility because she doesn't I understand. just don't know what she like thinks it means. Well. A lot of Jim Morrison. Yeah. Which I'm just like, how do you get to a certain age and still it's, like be obsessed with Jim Morrison? That, and I just think it's these types of different illusions that we see in here. It's, it struck me as desperate. It's a desperate illusion. It's desperate to try and be engaging. It with doesn't the even feel desperate to me. It just feels kind of juvenile. What's what I mean? It's juvenile, childlike, desperate to get in there with the Ginsburgs and the Plaths of the world, be considered among their ranks. But it's just childlike and juvenile and desperate attempt to do it. At least that's well, how. Well, there I are actually it. moments that, like, she expresses almost what feels like a desperation. And there's another poem that I want to talk about. There may be a couple other poems I want to talk about before we get to it. But if I can find it, where she starts writing about how she writes and yeah. why she writes. Is that one of the ones that's? Uh... She talks about being a poet and says, like, the more I focus on my poetry. And But there's one where she keeps saying, but I'm a real poet. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I don't remember which one it was. Do you? Is it Salamander? Yeah salamander it's toward the end you see i'm a real poet my life is my poetry my love making is my legacy my thoughts are not for sale they're about nothing and beautiful and for free this was not for free i just want to throw that out there i did pay like 15 dollars for these thoughts <laughs> which i can't even fucking find this one Oh, here it is. Okay. No page numbers. This is why no page numbers is a fucking pain yeah, in the ass. But on, I mean, yeah, dude, should have gotten the ebook. This, the lines I just read were on page 114 for me. My life is my poetry. My love making is my legacy. My thoughts are yeah, not Yeah, this one had a lot of yeah. moments that reminded me of America. Yeah. I don't want to sell my stories anymore. Stop pushing me. All is one sentence that is punctuated. You know, like that feels very in that vein to me. It does feel very America to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm a real poet. And this is, the th I think this whole book is like summed up in this too. My life is my poetry. Okay, yeah. My love making is my legacy. And I think that's a good line. My love making is my legacy. And again, this is something that I think could be in like one of her songs. Like yeah, there's a bit. lot of that. There's a lot of that, though. And there are moments where it does begin to feel a bit more songish to me. I just, I saw a lot of that throughout here. Well, I imagine, and I'm I just like, guessing. This feels like it would make a good song, but maybe not a great poem. Then there's the poem earlier on where she keeps doing a variation on, you know, the more I step into my poetry, the... Less I will fall into you. And she keeps doing a variation on that over and over. The more I yeah. step into becoming a poet, the less I will fall into being with you. The more I step into my poetry, the less I will fall into being with you. 
the more I step into my poetry, the less I will fall into being with you. You know, like there is a desperation. And I think that that's intentional, at least in these moments. I don't, I mean, I think there is like a desperate quality to everything. Yeah. Lana Del Rey does. And I think it's a des- it's a deeper desperation than just like I want to be loved, which is all over this book, right? I think it's a desperation to be in the ranks of great artists. That's what it struck me as, especially with these shitty kind of collage of like these smudged iPhone lens photos of abandoned streets in the desert of South, you know, Southern California. It's <clears throat> I just, you know, I think it, it's it's a desperate book. Yeah, because captains aren't like poets. They don't make metaphors between sea and sky. And some of these are supposed to be, like, the photos are supposed to be paired up with some of these poems and that one ringtone, the image with the actual book, the paperback of Hal in it, and, like, her pills and shit and her sage all over her... uh, her, uh... Yeah, that's later on, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's right. It's before the uh, Salabander poem. But I was just like, yeah, like this is so try hard. I put my third phone in the waistband of my leggings. Yeah, Only like, you have this number. And you know, this little thing of pills laid out, this thing of sage, this thing of it looks like weed almost in this one little container and then there's like all her kind of beauty products lotions and then there's like a cluttered dresser almost look and then like a copy of how like tucked carelessly in there and of i just thought it was so try hard i was like this is so desperate this is so i'm an artist look at me this is so instagram yes instagram and again instagram breeds desperation in people probably but yeah yeah, I it's just, very photo class. It's very um, yeah, and like high life. school photo class. Very or, my first still life. Yeah, and it just and it really clashes when you see the aesthetic of like the 1950s photos of these people reading newspapers and physical books. Something nobody people don't do anymore. Uh, it really doesn't fit. These kind of like classic mid-century photos don't really fit with what she's trying to do here. Um, again, I just think it, it's a lack of vision. It's a lack of aesthetic. It's a lack of... I mean, I think there is very much an aesthetic, and I think maybe that's some of the problem. Well, if I guess you say it's only aesthetic. I mean, to some degree, my... it feels like very aesthetic-driven, which isn't like necessarily wrong. Right. Like, you can be driven by that, but it's just like it hits... It, it feels... Like, it's that on every level, and it's too much. It's also, it just lacks something that, like, the part of the reason why it works better, I think, as performance than as a book, um, is because when you're reading poems, like, often you're looking for there to be, like, depth. Right. Right? Um, and there is, it, that's not to say this is entirely without that. It's, like, there, but there is a lot in here that I think... It honestly just sounds better with her reading it. Right. It, Like, 
in a way that I don't think anyone can really recreate reading it on their own. I think she has very much her own voice in mind. I don't get the sense that there is a speaker that is not Lana. Well, I mean, yeah. and that is a thing that I think maybe distinguishes it from other poetry. Like, and I think that's also something that you do when you're like a new poet. Right. Like you don't have a distinction between who you are and who is the speaker of the poem always, unless you're like writing something that's sort of in a fictional voice. But often I don't think that's like where you start. Right. Like you start with the thing that's the most autobiographical. At least now we do. I don't that was not always the case. And as it starts to get to this section where she starts to do these little haikus and things. Oh, don't even like, can we just forget they happened? I feel like I'm going to be so mean. (laughs) Well, the one that's like, my life is my poetry. My lovemaking is my legacy. Two pages after that, the same line is in a different poem or no, it's actually just a smaller part of this of the same poem and it's published as if it's different or I don't know. She says, I love you, but you don't understand me. You see, I'm a real poet. My life is my poetry. My love making is my legacy. And that's just like a small section of that poem, Salamander. And it's for some reason, two pages after this again, like there is no vision. Like, that's what I keep thinking about this. The most is that this seems like a hodgepodge collage And I think collaging has gotten more um, people are drawn to collaging because they can't do anything else. But yeah. And then we have this dude. Well, I would say also, though, we've gotten really used to collections of poems that have some kind of narrative arc. And I would suggest that that doesn't need to be. And, you know, I understand like we tend to, you know, sort of lump poems thematically or formally or, you know, just whatever it is, whatever makes a strong connection from one poem to the next you don't always have it in mind when you're writing them but i can see what you mean maybe by lack of vision i think like she has it it's just not something that we like i I don't even like what is the vision i couldn't even tell you i mean i think it's everything we've already said it's just like this sort of idealized like hollywood romantic glam girl plus some melancholia yeah which I like, I think yeah, that that's... was her vision of, like, her sort of identity. That's, like, what she created as a songwriter, whether or not she meant to. Like, that's what she liked enough to write. Yeah. That's what she likes enough to write here. So, like, I think that it's there. It's just her vision for her whole career, not, like, for this book, necessarily. I, yeah, right? I just, I, yeah, it's. Like, her, vi- she is her vision to some degree. Yeah. Um, and the colored pencils dude the colored pencils what did you think I think her life is her poetry Um, colored pencils where we at it's this one little section that's like a two line poem. Um, it's after Salamander. It's like a couple pages after that. You can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. All you have to do is change oh, everything. Yeah. And then all they have all oh, you have to that, do is... Yeah, I was confused by that. I was like, what is this? Is this its own? Is this, is this part of Salamander? I guess it is. It's uh, the end of Salamander. Uh, it has to yeah. be, right? 
I mean, again, I don't know because I think this has no vision whatsoever. It's just a hodgepodge of like what she thinks is cool. Um, but yeah, and I think the colored pencils, again, it just makes me think of how childish this is, how. But how... again, for me, it's not in colored pencils. It's like. Yeah, but it's in, blue, in pink, and then type. green in these kind of handwritten. You can see it. Yeah, and one all is capitalized. It's the one in the middle. I don't understand why. It's just like small things like that that'll kind of piss you off. Because like as somebody I mean, who like trained, you're kind you of like, why. uh, dude. Like, I mean, the answer why. Can you just like have some uniformity or like some intention here? That's what I mean, intention. Capitalization. But, you know, that like that's where I would pick on it. That's what I mean. Like there is no intention. Like I see like, no intention. Do. Yeah. And I think this is reading the news. You remember this, Sophie, you and I were also being a woman. Do you remember this, Sophie, when you and I were in a grad school? I mean, not grad school, undergrad together. Um, And we were in this shitty workshop. And that one girl who started turning in poems in colored font. Like she would literally change the ink color in the Microsoft Word document to be bright pink or bright blue. And it's just this mm -hmm. kind of arts and crafts, like I'm a middle school mom, like that's all was I Was this aspire. at like the higher level? Was this at like a 300 level class? No, this was 200 this, level. Like, this okay. was community college when we were. Okay, so this was one or 200. Yeah, and it was just, I, I just, I, when I saw this colored pencil over and over again type thing, and I get that she was probably on SSRIs or Xanax or something, and like this looked really pretty to her or whatever. This little rainbow. You think colors. that's how it works, man? <laughs> I, put I, you on SSRIs and colored pencils look better now. I think it makes it. It would. It would change as well. I would say it changes the brain chemistry to a degree to where. I mean, it's just a fucking theory, you know, like, I don't know. It just, that's what it struck me I mean, me I as. think it's just like she wanted to use colored pencils to make but, this repetition. But why, right? Different. Look, it's why? Because it's pretty, right. Yeah, like, but it's not, like, it looks like crayon. Like, it looks like she's writing her stuff in crayon. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, you should send me a picture because I'm curious to see what it looks like in your copy because I don't. Send it now. Because so again, it's just little... typed, so it's like a you know a basic like like all of these colors I'm familiar with from Word, you know. Yeah. From like working in like Google Docs or Microsoft Word. Yeah, I sent sent the. But photo. it's like all the small things that you don't have to do because you're famous, you know. <sighs> like you like all the small things, like you know pay attention to what you're capitalizing well, and just, have it right there it is no intention it is scattered it is scattered like the inside but of also everyone brain. will create the intention for her she has enough fans that will be like no this is what she meant like she doesn't have to do that you know she's not like well someone with a really really small following this who like I, has to explain themselves and i think that's where we kind of fall victim to being overly generous is like oh she doesn't have to i'm like well why doesn't she have to because the fans won't care it's like yeah but her fans don't give a shit about poetry well, it also doesn't really impact her career in any of major course. way like i mean she will still be famous she was still famous after this book she will continue to be famous regardless of us bashing her and like again this isn't to be like she's an idiot she should never write again, like, you know, whatever, like, do your I thing. would make that statement. She should but never write a book again. Yeah. I don't, well, I mean, obviously she also writes songs, you know, like, yeah, we're she not... could keep writing songs, just don't write a book. Don't, don't do a book again, Lana. It's terrible. I just think that this is, 
poets like comics are inherently quite sad, better off alone. That felt like an Instagram poem to me. And yeah. like in, and I'm just like, but how many people have written exactly this thing? But that's why that something like this can be popular, right? Do because you... someone looks at that and says, I can do this. Well, this is what I'm struggling or, with. I think that's deep because they right. don't, aren't, don't actually run that deep. You know? And what I'm struggling with with these types of like colored pencil things, like, okay, she did it because she thought it was pretty. Did she really think that was pretty? Like, is that, you know, that little scribbled, handwritten, three different colors, like I'm marking up my... She was doodling, man. That's what I mean. It's a doodle. It's a mindless act. And I think this just shows how mindless it is. Like... I stepped on a bird, cried in my new boyfriend's arms. To live is to kill. Like, there is no intention. There is no vision. There is no artistic goal that's being achieved it is just a hodgepodge it is mindless it is aimless it is little kid uh scribbling in their craft book and thinking these colored pencils together repeating the same line which i mean is... the colored pencils is like the haikus to me yeah well that's the same thing but i just mean the colored pencils like literally represents this and i was just like man i can't believe that anyone takes this seriously and I get, sure, her fans are going to take it seriously, sure. But I just mean, like... Right, but serious readers don't. Yeah. It, it, like, I mean, you're, I was embarrassed for her reading this. Like, I was like, you're making yourself look bad. Like, like somebody who has no idea what they're doing. And I think that's just really what drove me crazy about this entire book, was I was like, you don't know what you're doing. She does, but again, let's remind ourselves that, like, most of the world isn't reading poetry. Like, it's sure. not exactly the most popular. So well, it's like, yeah, to the world that isn't reading poems, I can see them picking this up and being like, wow. Yeah. That's meaningful. Yeah. And as this is essentially, this is, I mean, this line, all you have to do is change everything. I mean, this is a Pink song. This is Pink's first big hit, Don't Let Me Get Me. <laughs> like, that's what it is. It was a banger. Yeah, that is a banger. I like Pink, but it's just like, you know, <laughs> yeah, they, they told me you'll, uh, you'll be a pop star. All you have to do is change everything you are. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the line from the Don't Let Me Get Me song. And like, okay. this is the same thing, right? All you have to do is change everything. And it's like, I don't know, not only is it a stale sentiment, I just think it, like I said, it just adds to my... Maybe that's what a lot of it is. It's a little bit stale. Well, it is. And that's what I mean. I mean, in a... combination with the sort of craft-related issues, but um, yeah, I think a lot of it is, it does feel stale. A lot of the sentiment does feel kind of stale. And I think it, the reason I keep saying collage and hodgepodge is because it is just kind of this random kind of, the best I can figure it is this kind of assortment of random ideas that are all pretty stale at this point, considering how fast the world moves. So these would have been really cool aesthetics, you know, 2006, 2007. And then that you know, and just black and white images of, of like people reading yeah, during that like time period, the fifties. Yeah. And it's or like, like this image of California, I'm assuming where we have a liquor sign. Yeah, and because, you see the like, kind of nineteen, and in a photo class for the first time. Right. Yeah, and I kept thinking that's like, very much how it feels. What? Yeah, this whole book really felt not like... even like I mean, it feels very high school photo class. Dude, that's exactly it. This whole book felt like I was walking in the halls of a high school and seeing the artwork pinned to the sides of the walls from like the art department or whatever, and that's what it felt like reading this. And that's why I kept saying juvenile, childlike. Like, yeah, I mean, this listen is to an it. For years, I begged you to just take me in your arms. You wouldn't. 
couldn't. I mean, like, when you, like, I know I've been jokingly reading each of these in, like, the Lana Del Rey voice, but that's the only way they're good to me. Like I said, you know, I, I liked, I didn't love it, but, you know, it was a lot less grating to me to hear her read them. And, like, the voice that she clear like, I think she intends it to be read with. Because when I read this, like, out, out loud... It has nothing going for it, really, with the exception of a few lines here and there. That was maybe a bit mean. But, you know, I stepped on a bird, cried in my new boyfriend's arms. To live is to kill. <laughs> so deep. Yeah, you want to hit the high... I, I didn't have a lot about the haikus, but the way this book ends, listeners, is there's I this... didn't take a single note on the haikus. Yeah, me neither. I just have a few questions as you know what are the point of haikus, but there's like, you know, so we have this hodgepodge and then at the end we have this little section of small haikus next to these mostly kind of classic uh, archived photos that we've been talking about from like of the mostly 50s. women reading. Yeah. Reading at a the few table, men. a few men, but they're usually younger, like boys yeah. um, reading comic books or books or, you know, whatever in an old school setting. And I just thought, like, the haikus in general, like, why do bad writers or let's not say bad, let's say amateur writers, why do they love haikus so much? Why is haiku one of the first things that they go to? Because it seems like, well, first of all, they happen very quickly. You can sit there for five minutes and think of a haiku and be done. Right. That's three lines you have to edit, if at all. Um all you're doing is counting syllables and of course haikus are usually about I mean, it's nature not, they don't yeah, have to be yeah they're also usually isn't there like they're usually pre-image focused right well you'd like, have to be with that small of a space so um, it's a very restrictive space which i think a lot yeah. of amateurs don't understand how restrictive they don't haikus understand are. well and yeah. they don't always use the sort of i think the reason why the image thing is important is because that's the only way I've ever seen a haiku be interesting, right? Um, well, because otherwise, yeah. you're just like, because think about it, like in three lines, that can only be a certain length, right? Right. Five, seven, five, right? Yeah, traditionally, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you can run into that problem where you have not written enough to be a poem but you are also limited to this space. And all you've said is like, you know, sort of a basic statement, like there's nothing really in it that defines it as a poem, except for the fact that it happens to be the right number of syllables and broken into lines. It doesn't sound nice. Yeah. It doesn't provide you with any kind of image, except for I stepped on a bird. And again, I don't think traditionally that's where haikus would go for an image of a dead bird like it would right. be more it would be less about the action of like uh, like narrating i stepped on a bird like yeah. i think and just showing the image of the bird and creating a contrast between things in those three lines well that's the thing is um, i think or creating a mood instead of being like i stepped on a bird and i cried in my boyfriend's arms to live is to kill <laughs> like this is that just feels i don't know that feels very like that feels very teenager to me. It is, yeah. And I 
I think that's the mistake. People confuse haikus because they're small with easy. Or the shorter the poem, I mean, like yeah. it goes both ways. The shorter the poem, the harder it is. The longer the poem, the harder it is. There is yeah. like this middle ground, sweet spot. Right. That I think we tend to write to, like a lot of contemporary poets will sort of write to a certain length a little bit. And I think a lot of these strike me as, yeah, maybe, you know, cast off lyrics, things that she was came to her or something and she wrote it down that she would, you know, I assume she wrote this like she writes lyrics to her song. So she does a combination of writing a note on a nightstand, you know, writing a note in her notes app or something when she thinks of something and then puts it into a song. I mean, a lot of songwriters do that, right? A lot of writers do this to write. But, like, the thing with haikus is it's just, like, I feel like a lot of these read as if they were one-off little lyrics to songs. Yeah, and... Jasmine <clears throat> in the air, the burden of fame is real. Never felt so clear. And she might have manipulated them to hit the syllable count and then put them in here. But that's the thing, is that they were they composed as haikus? It doesn't strike me as they were. And again, like everything else, it strikes me as somebody who has no understanding of what it is. And, you know, this is celebrity poetry, so fine. You know, she doesn't need to, to put a book out like this because her name will sell the book regardless. But it just kind of... I think summed it up for me, these kind of haikus that everybody goes to. And I see a lot of Instagram poets doing this, a lot of bad uh, poets that for Also some for reason... loving poets that like are big on sort of the everyman and getting at something that maybe not entirely, but is more universal, like is not just Hollywood glamour living. Like I, I think it's kind of, interesting that I don't see a lot of that in here I don't see a lot of the everyman in here yeah because it's not maybe I just haven't tried to but it feels very much like someone trying to find themselves by writing poems which is fine people do that and are you poets do that all the time yeah um it just is doing that, it feels like, without much, quite as much attention to craft as I think we would like. All right. I have, I have to pee real quick, and then I just have a few more questions. I'm almost done. In the meantime, I will read to you a couple of poems that are not in the haiku section. Poem one. I'm writing my future. <clears throat> Poem two, the universe exists because we are aware of it. That's it. Uh, I was just filling readers in on two pages of poems. The first being I'm writing my future and the second being the universe exists because we are aware of it. <laughs> like those are just like ideas you had. You know what this like, reminds me of? Being high. Uh, yes, it reminds me of when I was 19 and did shrooms for the first time in my friend's reminds fucking me of apartment. Getting stoned for the first yeah, time. Yeah, in my friend's fucking apartment uh, in Towson. Um, uh, Donnie Brook, shout out, right? And uh, this, like, he brought home these shrooms and we did them. And dude, like, I remember we were like we're writing like, things. Everything has a right. vibration. Yeah, we yeah. were writing stuff down. We were writing stuff down on notebooks and stuff like yeah, little 19 year old fuckers. They do some kind of hallucination. Right. They're like, my and mind thinking... is open. I am one with the universe. It flows 
fucking threw me. Right. And thinking <laughs> it was great. So I'm thinking she's doing like, this is what it all strikes me as is the first time somebody does she's drugs. She's microdosing. Yeah. And thinks that like, they've discovered this new world and everything they're writing is great and all that kind of well, stuff. Well, it's one of those things where it's like you're having revelations and you think that it's going to be news to other people. Right. And it's like, I feel like other people had this idea when they were... 18 and it's mostly and it's mostly when you're when you're young it's mostly because i hadn't read enough like i hadn't read enough people that had you know lived 100 you're also just not that developed right so you didn't understand that like of course maybe part of that is because you haven't read enough like you haven't been pushed to right you know baldwin always said we're also naive and yeah, and we talked about this on the Baldwin episode where he just said, you know, you think that your suffering is totally unique and then you read books <laughs> and you realize that actually it's not unique at all. Like your suffering is just like everybody else's. Well, you, yeah. Like regardless of your character, your different characteristics, your traits, your immutable characteristics, like it's this, this, the human suffering that we all experience. Well, you think it's unique and then like your brain finishes developing. Or you just, I think it's ignorance if you think it's that unique, you know, like it's, you like, just don't yeah. know enough yet to understand that but, I mean, actually the guy next to you in like line is feeling of... the same thing. Like, right, 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 right. Well, I mean, I think some of that isn't even about like people's ability to see that it's like a, a just like a lack of awareness, you know, yeah. it's not like, and what is being actual... aware? I mean, being educated, you know, being understanding. Right, but I think people can be that educated, like we can be educated and still like be so mindlessly self-centered in that way. Right. Yeah. But uh, I don't even remember where we're going from that. But yeah, it was, it's just like, yeah, it's like she, she did mushrooms and like she had an idea uh, and she thought like, this is going to blow some minds. Uh, <laughs> and it probably did for a 15 year old somewhere. I mean, I've heard like thirty-year-olds talk about how much this touched them. Well, there them you go. Oh, like, depress me. I, yeah, I've heard podcasts. Yeah, like this is. I mean, like it's fine. I get it. I yeah. know because right, like reading poetry can be a pain in the ass sometimes. Like if you're not into that, even if like you are into that and you're just like not in the mood, like you don't have to fucking want to decipher something yeah. or like have the experience of the poem you know well, like the thing, and have that... to be comfortable with not understanding everything like you don't have well, to want that all the time yeah well that's the thing is that and a lot of people don't want it ever the distinction that we're making that i think needs to be made after everything we've said is that we're not talking that it needs to be hard and complex that doesn't necessarily that's not what we mean when we say it's juvenile or elementary because there are great um poems that are very simple right like you don't have to do these elaborate things Ginsburg's i mean there's a great, a great poem that. somewhere that says that the universe exists because we are aware of it but it's a longer poem that has spent more time like thinking about how do i convey this idea in an interesting way yeah because in and of itself i don't know that like that just sounds like (laughs) sort of just like basic stoner language that's what it is yeah it's basic like stoner wow g wow lsd g wow firefly as uh Holiday would say. Oh, it's just a firefly. Yeah. LSD wow firefly. Yeah. Uh okay, these blank pages at the end. We're almost done here. What, notes, notes for poets? Yeah, the notes for poets, yeah. Well, at least she's acknowledging that mostly poets read poetry. 
Yeah, and I I get the call to action aspect where it's like write your own or like write notes on this. Write and, your future. Yeah, write your life. Your life is your poetry type thing, and you'll never have my existence, but you can write and pretend that someday it will be. But yeah, I just like you know why do we think those pages are there? I guess we already said it, but because she thought it was fun because her book wasn't long enough. Like I, <laughs> she wanted it to be audience participation. Too many. I mean, yeah, I'm sure she had some idea of like you know I'm the everyman and I'm inviting you to add to my book or I'm right. inviting you to, you know, like I can see her yeah. doing that. I could see her. Um, so like now you're a participant because you are literally writing on the pages of my book. This book is for her. you. Yeah, this book. Yeah, is Yeah, it's for very. Us. It feels very romantic in that way. And uh, self-important. Like there's, like I said, there's like a self-importance to that. Like where you But think... I like that goes along with it feeling kind of juvenile, right? Maybe yes. like, I feel like juvenile is, but like we mean like young, right? Like there is something yeah. that's very young about this poem. And like. Immature. And young. Yeah. I mean, even in like great poets, you see that too, right? It's different because obviously she's like a pop person, right? Like she is a pop icon. She is not like right. some obscure famous poet who like even if they are now famous were at one time or another probably kind of obscure and like even when i think of like auden's first poems like his earliest work that's like the most reminiscent of like t.s Eliot or you know like it's still really heavily influenced by that and is like doesn't feel like um like we find those poems fun because they're so energetic and they like have this sort of youthful push to them and they like are just throwing it all out there. But like it, it's not odd in the later, more developed poem where he's like writing his, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the poems that we most cherish, although some of the yeah. most poems we most cherish are kind of earlier and he detests now. Well, I think you bring or up a good point with, and I go into this a little bit, listeners that are interested, I go into this a little bit on the bonus episodes with A Christmas Carol, where I start talking about, like Sophie mentioned this, this kind of, the inherent kind of silliness or childishness of creativity, right? Like there's a little bit of that in almost every creative project because it is, you know, it's make-believe time, you know, it's it's, it's Well, and there time. is some it's, element of self-importance to it, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's like, I mean, I would argue that there is, right? Like, because again, it's, it's silly time. Like it's creative time. It's also like, it's not saving the world. And I talked about this in the bonus. So listeners, if you want to hear this, you got to subscribe patreon.com slash heavy board. But like, I talk about this a little bit in the context of the animated versions of a Christmas Carol when I go into that. And it's just like, there is something silly about story creation because it's make-believe. We're making it up. It's pretend. It's this kind of, there's a little whimsy to it. And we talked about this on our actual Christmas Carol episode, the whimsiness in the actual book and kind of spirits and ghosts, right? This kind of make-believe childish fantasy. And that's in a lot of creative stuff. So it is like, you know, it's, she's on the right track if you're following that kind of stuff. But then like the idea is to refine that not refine it out of it entirely because like we said in the Christmas Carol episode, like a lot of times it works to have a little childishness or whimsy in like a creative work. But like, yeah, it, it just, <clears throat> there's a juvenile sense that is not, um, yeah, maybe the better word for it is immature. Like you said, using the audit an example as you mature and keep working at it and practicing and things like that. 
I mean, all artists do well, this. Yeah, and you look back not, again, at your old work. Some of it, yeah. again, is like the ideas. I get it. Like she's, you know, probably what, our age range? I think she's a couple years old. I think she's like 35, 36. So she's like a couple sure. years, but millennial. So she's a millennial yeah. like us, an I elder mean, millennial. Sure. She's our generation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a big pop star of our generation, essentially. Like Yeah. So she's already like got that. She's already like living in that world, you know, where I just assume and maybe wrongly assume, I don't know, someone correct me, that there is like this almost, I don't want to say stuntedness, but like they're a little behind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, the childishness, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to get away with like just having read like Ginsburg and like these few poets that she references and I'm sure she's read others, you know. Um, but like, these are clearly the ones that so heavily influenced her in a way that I feel like we were so heavily influenced when we started writing poetry. Right. And I feel like, I guess if you're going through that at like, you know, in your thirties, like there's still part of me that expects something slightly more nuanced, but I guess maybe not coming from, someone who really like romanticizes that lifestyle yeah. of just being like an artist and I dictate my poems and then I write them down. Well, this is the mistake. <laughs> this is the mistake that everybody makes in all creative processes is they, because the way you're creative is this kind of raw shit that comes out of your head that they believe that that's all there is to it. Right. Wherein it's like the actual craft of creativity is taking that raw material that anybody can do because it's just a human quality. You can make up shit in your head and like put it out there. But the actual craft of it is refining that raw material into something, you know, shaping the material, as Bloom would say. This kind of like, you know, you can take this little idea, but then, you know, make it new, make it original, make it unique in some way. But not even that she has to do that because, again, we're talking celebrity poetry. It's just... Yeah, there is this, it's not whiny, but it's bordering on this kind of, and I don't want to get into, you know, wealth and all that stuff, because people criticize everyone for wealth all the time, like, as if that's a valid criticism of art, it's not, like, if you talk about how wealthy the artist is, like, it doesn't, it's not a criticism, it's a personal vendetta, but, like, there is this little bit if you're a 35 year old person living in america right now and this is like the deepest you can go like yeah like it, it's just another example of the kind of stunted childhood or prolonged adolescence that we're all living through and especially millennials our generation that gets criticized for it a lot we tend to have a prolonged adolescence compared to previous generations and uh you know there's all kinds of theories about it most of them are unprovable and bullshit but you know, we defend millennials on this podcast because we are them, right? Millennials get a lot of fucking shit, uh, a lot of it that we don't deserve, but still, you know, I don't know. We can move on because it's just... We are self-involved, though. Apparently yeah. those two extra short, like, one-line, one, two-line one, two poems that I read were actually just part of Thanks to the Locals, but they're just, like, also on pages on their own after... What? two pictures yeah and why do you think she did that that's that's a good thing i don't know there's a few poems right there's a few poems where that happens and we pointed out the one with salamander and then you said this other one yeah and of course i like you know if we're going to talk about the idea of this as a performance we if we heard it as a performance i don't think we would know that because we also like wouldn't see these pictures the pictures right. are not part of the performance at least as an audio thing 
And I feel like there is very much, I don't know, a way that she could have integrated all of these things as like one thing. But yeah, whatever. It's like, you know, something that's made for mass consumption. So they're going to do it in all of the possible ways to get people to buy it. For me, the best I can tell from an artistic point of view is that she really liked those lines. And again, it's just kind of more evidence that she didn't really know what she was. And it just didn't feel right at the end of the poem. I just think she wanted to emphasize them. And again, not quite understanding the art form she's working in. Yeah. They don't belong at the end of the poem at all. So unless, I mean, unless she's using it as a way to make distinct sections, which again, doesn't make sense with the poem. Yeah. And I think it might be, again, kind of copying Ginsburg's style without necessarily understanding what he's doing with that kind of stuff. But this is also where young poets get self-important because they want to keep all their lines that's true, right? And, you know, young poets. Okay, great. Like, young poets. But young poets are not getting books published, right? Because usually it's not good enough. So it's... But, like, this is the exception because she has a built-in audience. So, of course, Simon & Schuster wants to capitalize on that. You know, make a little money off a of poetry Well, yeah, book, and also because, rare. okay, it's the book of poems that we know we can make money on. Yeah, and you yeah. Know, the built-in audience is more and more yeah. important. We talked about this on our, our last episode, listeners, because and we that, talk about it all the time. But Yeah, because yeah. no one anticipates much of an audience for poetry. Yeah. And there isn't, if we're being honest. Uh, but I just have a last... I mean, did we hit almost everything you wanted? Yeah, pretty much. I'll look back and see if there's anything. I might want to say something about... Because I did want to say the one with... Uh... What is it? What's the title? Find it. I fucking hate scanning through these fucking ebooks. Yeah. I feel like I sound like a curmudgeon. No, dude. Like e- I find them very e-books. convenient in some ways. They can be very convenient. Sometimes they're really convenient for taking notes in them. Right. But when it comes to, or, or like searching for something in particular. And uh, it's important to the, the distinction between an ebook for fiction and like that's the format ebooks work best in when you're reading in long form. When you're reading something like poetry, an ebook is kind of disorienting. We haven't quite figured out how to make it work in ebook format yet, and maybe we never Past will. Past the bushes, but... Cypress thriving. Um, again, also weird here, Cypress being the only other word that's capitalized in the title. When most of her titles, it's just like, just the first word gets cap. Yeah. So it's just like in sentence case. Uh-huh. Um, I was like confused by this poem, but then, yeah, there was like this moment in this poem, your fingers wiping oil on the paper with precision, with decision, like an artist never seen yet with a vision. It was just like, whoa, that's like a little too much. Like the, the rhythm is already there so heavily. And this is like a fun little stanza, but like, can you just change that to deciding? So that it says, your fingers wiping oil on the paper with precision, deciding like an artist, never seeing it with a vision. Just something else. Like, you don't need that extra rhyme there. You just don't. It's too much. That was just one instance of that I wanted to throw out. But there there are also moments in this poem that I did really like. Like what? But it also doesn't really make sense. (laughs) <laughs> you know georgia like, o'keefe georgia yeah. peaches yeah Forget doing nothing for, yeah. forgive him forever leaving like no. yeah. yeah like that's fucking fun it's not and i'm not sure why this, it's here 
it's this it's this random assortment of the most basic stuff you yeah. get in high school. Georgia O'Keeffe, yeah. Georgia Peaches doing doing Georgia nothing O'Keefe. but your painting Dude. for forever. Forget okay. teachers, forgive him for ever leaving. You, like it's nonsense. You can ask me about. Uh, you can correct me for this, but like you know, I went to a certain type of school where they were you know prepping for college and stuff so like my i do there are differences even when i talk to my wife in terms of the curriculum i learned in high school what they were giving me and the things you learn right when you're just learning basic english courses and the basic history of art in like a curriculum in high school right so you learn ginsburg yeah you learn plath you learn norman rockwell you learn georgia o'keefe you learn you know picasso you learn these basic names that everybody knows because it's part of the basic kind of you know western basic high school education and it's all in this book (laughs) like she thinks that these are really like good you know like like and it it just like I said I was embarrassed for her reading a lot of this like you're showing your limitations here as an artist and intellectual um well it just has a lot of what I would identify as stuff that works in lyrics and not in a written poem yeah and, you know, yeah, it's like I'm you can a have a certain of, level of yeah. cheesiness. You can get away with a certain kind of cheesiness in lyrics that you can't in, uh, you know, in this form. And it's just because, yeah, the music is louder than the lyrics. Like, that's what matters the most. Or sometimes whether they're yelling it versus being quiet about it. You know, like all of these things, the things that make it um, actually, like, sound Right. right. There's a driving pulse usually to a music too. There's a beat, right? That that follow the beat. Yeah. And the beat drives energy. It can make you very energy. And you know, we talk about this a little bit with poetry. Ginsburg could establish that beat without music. And that's a song also doesn't of... have to make sense for us to like it. Right. Yeah. It could be like, you well, know, I mean, everybody we could say the same of a poem. So maybe that's not a great comparison. Well, just... yeah, but you know, songs at the same time, like, you know, Stairway But they're to gonna heaven. get less scrutiny. For not making sense. Yeah, um, there's songs like Stairway to Heaven, like the lyrics make no fucking sense, you know, like, but everybody yeah. loves that song. It's one of the most famous rock songs ever written and, and stuff like that. But like, if you actually read the lyrics or like listen to the lyrics, like it really makes no fucking sense at all. And whatever, right? Because what we really care about is the kind of crescendo throughout the song, the, the screaming right. guitar solos, the kind of Robert Plant kind of wailing, you know, kind of like that. For a all, drop. Yeah, that all comes in to propelling the, the art forward as opposed to poetry where you're limited to just the words on the page and not this driving backbeat, not to this create, screaming guitar again, solo. The words on the page are also more than just like the words on the page, right? They're supposed to do the work of creating, yeah, you know, the thing that stands in as a performance, right? Yeah. And like I said, I know, I know. The enunciated least... <laughs> apparatus. Yeah. And I know at least one of my friends that's going to be pissed at me for even bad-mouthing Lana at all, but, you know. Sorry, that person. Yeah, I say it's always, it's, it's yeah. Uh, my friends that all happen to be gay uh, tend to, for some reason, all happen to love Lana, too. It's like a very, <laughs> it's like a very. And uh, I don't have an issue with Lana, necessarily. Well, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, very happy for her and her big haunted pussy. She what? <laughs> big haunted pussy? What? Yeah. Is that like right about her big haunted pussy? Oh, is that yeah. what she said? That's like a lyric, like a uh, famous, like a meme. Or is that lyric. just something that we say about her? I I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I just. Oh yeah. I mean. Yeah, she just like talks about her pussy sometimes. 
which is fair game, right? My pussy tastes like Pepsi Cola. Yeah. And that would be something that you would see in like a rap song even like, like that's like a rap. My eyes are wide like cherry pie. Yeah. My pussy tastes like Coca-Cola. That sounds like a rap lyric to me. Yeah. Yeah, It does. Like a Nicki Minaj line. I don't remember what it was. There was some post about Lana Del Rey's big haunted pussy. (laughs) Big haunted pussy. I like that though. That should be. That's great. That should be a line. Yeah. That'll be in our description. Sophie and Andrew discuss Lana's big haunted pussy and uh, that'll be our description. Uh, I just have a few questions left, literally like dumb, stupid. One, we kind of already answered this. You know, why was this published? Because Lana Del Rey wanted to be a poet. I think that was pretty clear with, you know, the line, I get down to be poetry. Yeah. I think it's more of a business decision. Feathers in my hair. Yeah. So Simon and Schuster, you know, whatever There's, her agent. There is something that she embraces where she's like, yeah, I am about the aesthetic. I'm letting you yes. know. Yeah. Like, so I do kind of, that's what, I, that's part of what I mean too. When I say like, well, at least it's like, you know, there is something about it that is a little bit like unpretentious or it's like, yeah, we know her. We know that she like announces aloud that she's just sort of about this. I mean, and maybe I read that more like superficially than I should, that that is her announcing like, Hey, I just like the way beat poetry looks on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to describe (laughs) it. But I feel like that's kind of what she's saying there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, we already answered this, yeah, so... And you also know I have all of these records. I have all of the jazz and blues. Right. Like, you know, that's Look, basically what blues, that song is. And I that's like, a great song. Brooklyn Baby's yeah, a great song. Yeah, but, and I like her influence of that. She takes that seriously. But my next thing... Okay, so we already kind of said the polishing, and then we kind of... We talk about this because this is a writing podcast. The business side makes sense. So if her agent went to Simon & Schuster and said, hey, Lana wants to put out a book of poetry, they're probably... Their ears perk up because, okay, sure, we'll put that out. Yeah, they probably didn't do a lot of shopping it around. Right. They probably just were deciding who was going to, you know... Right. Because... Either give her the biggest... Built-in audience. She sells, you know, platinum records. And even if only a fraction of those platinum record sales go into book sales, it's way more than normal and they're going to make money off of it. And again, that's that's like not really typical for most poets. Like you don't just go and get it published. Yeah. Unless you're like Carl Phillips. Yeah. But even so, Carl Phillips is... I would say Carl Phillips, even though I'm not a huge fan of him, as listeners know, like he earned that. You know, he's earned yeah. that over decades yeah. of being able right. to just go but to like, a press. Yeah, that's why I'm so. saying like there are not a lot of poets that you can just go and be like, I have this book. Do you want it? You know, right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Will always get their book taken, right? So like, we there know, are very few living poets like that. And I think maybe that's why this. And I didn't want to attack this book for something dumb like that, like the nepotistic reasons or the. Business and again, reasons. I also wouldn't be surprised if Lana Del Rey sold more copies of this book than Carl Phillips did of right, you know, yeah, of either of his most recent books. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the book sales are way better than most. But you know, I just what yeah. So that's just basically what happens. And we do, and you hear us purposely. We didn't want to talk about this kind of oh, was she just the only reason it got published because she's a celebrity? Even though that's true, you know, I think that's a weak if we're talking about it as a serious, serious yeah, no, poetry and art it, I mean, consumers, I think there is a, a weak argument. Of like yeah. Singer songwriter poets. Yeah. Like I said, Dylan Morrison, these, all these people that we call poets. I mean, and, Leonard Cohen. 
Leonard Cohen Patty is another Smith. one. Patty Smith. Yeah. These... I mean, like this is very much of the era that she so badly but, wants to embody. But did Cohen put ex- out a book of poems? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he did? There's a collection. I have one. Oh, I, I mean, good? I have his like songs. I mean, a lot of it is like his songs. Like, I mean, right. and he had some great songs. He had some great songs that had some really great lyrics that I do want to read, you know, like that are because right. they are good and because they are complicated and really like, because like, yeah, I mean, the lyrics to Avalanche is great. They're just great. Like, um, and it can be interesting to see where like the poem form can differ from a song form. Yeah. Like, because he has some that are like the poem form of the song. Like, so right. that can sometimes be interesting, but you also know what you're going into. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think so... we also knew kind of what I feel like I knew what I was going into. I yeah. feel like I knew that I was going to find some poems that felt more like song. Um, you know, some bummers. Yeah, and I just, I just mean, yeah. So we don't want to attack for that because that's, I think that's a, a weak, weak criticism. We want to talk about the art. We don't want to talk about, you know, necessarily, um, why this got published. However, you know, nepotism, blah blah. Uh, another question I have is Lana serious? Is this serious? I think she's serious. I mean, I think she's taking it very seriously, even if we would say that she fell short. Yeah, I agree. I think yes, of course she's very clearly thinks this is dead serious. Um, uh, that That's the only explanation I could come to with, again, those kind of terrible... And why else would she do it? She didn't do it as like a... Right. Like, I think she was really like, I'm going to be a poet now, you know, like, and yeah. I take this very seriously. Yeah, and I think... And I have a process. There's no way you could put those photos in there seriously without taking yourself seriously yeah. like that so like it's a bad idea and it ended up terrible but like like clearly... most photo students yeah and then at the end of this like by the time i got to the end of this book like the uh, all the aesthetic of it really annoyed me like even the cover image and the font of the cover and just everything. by the end yeah well before i was a little confused it did not take me long yeah but i was instantly over that but i'm just also it's not that whole like 50s 60s like dreamy depressed i'm like a woman trying to fall into the arms of a man like it's just not yeah what interests me what just that like it's been i mean not that like it's of course it's been said before but it's just the actual aesthetic I think that she was going for seems so unfocused and so, like I said, mindless, aimless, that it just started to really grate on me towards the end. I mean, and... it just feels like Baby's first collection of poems. That's yes. what I'm going to say. Like, yeah. that's all it is. It just, it, and I didn't mean that. I know I said that in like a, you know, fuck it, whatever. I just mean this feels very much like she just like became a poet. She just started writing and also had the opportunity to make her earliest writing or I would assume some of her earliest serious writing. Cause I'm sure like, you know, we can't not call her a serious writer. She writes lyrics. Of course. And and she does. And she puts out album after album and you know, um, if, but it feels like for this form, this is like the first serious like collection <clears throat> she put together. And because she already happened to be famous, she had a way 
to get that collection published like it you know and that's fine <laughs> like i just think it feels very much like what you would expect a of like a 19 year old writing a collection of poems and thinking I'm going to put this out there. Yeah. It's just, I think for most people, this would have to be a self published venture. Oh yes. Oh yes. And I mean, that's the reason that there is kind of a gatekeeping mechanism in place, right? It's like, cause most people when they're starting but out, it's also like what distinguishes not, yeah. popular Instagram poetry from like literary poetry right what's going to be remembered and those are still two relatively separate spheres i would say even though perhaps they are beginning to overlap more i mean literally they're separate spheres but the only one that matters is the instagram one really right. so yeah that's uh that's lana's book it's lana all right, are we done here? And can we be? Yeah, we're done. Yeah, fuck, fuck it. Did she do the cover art? Uh, I don't think so. I think they credit the cover art to somebody. I think it's a more modern artist. But I think in the end here, the notes section, um, the cover image is an oil painting by Erica Lee Sears, copyright twenty twenty. Just some, yeah. Just I mean, someone let me know if you think this image of these dandelions after the first poem really moves you. <laughs> Because it didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's American grass. So that's it. That's it. That's Lana. We did it. Uh, oh, God. All right. So reminder to listeners, we're still looking for workshop horror stories. If you have a workshop horror story you want to share with us, send it to heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. It'll be a lot of fun. We want to get started. Uh, we also have a subscription plan. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash heavy board to receive full uncensored episodes for subscribers only, uh, as well as bonus content. And if you don't want to do that, can't afford that, there are other ways to support us. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us grow, helps us out. You can check out our YouTube channels. You can like, subscribe, and share. Tap the bell. That helps us out, too. A free way to support us. Uh, as always, the books and everything we covered today will be linked in the description. And next episode, we are doing uh, Faulkner's As I Lay Dying. Yeah. Yes, we are. Fun. <laughs> well. I'm pretty. Bye. Yeah, so this has been Heavy Board. See ya. I am heavy, heavy, heavy board.
is for life. Forward. I, I aspire to believe I should say. Forward. Heavy. I am heavy, heavy. Forward. Has you the night sweats and the day sweats, pal? Pal, I do.